0: I would say you know find something that you really love doing and don't worry like don't worry about getting accolades you know I, I advise a bunch of companies invest in a lot of um, early stage companies and one of the things I saw recently in a, in a company um, in the beverage space is you know these these two founders which are awesome they won this great UCLA award and and great accolades and I said you guys are in big friggin trouble because you think you know what you're doing yet you have no idea I said the pain has not started yet and. Uh, and I do like to poo poo academics quite a bit because, generally speaking, if someone's really good in the business world, they're often not a professor. Yes. There's a few exceptions. Yes. But that they, usually that's not what happens. So I would say a look at some of those awards is actually a negative thing versus a positive thing.
1: Welcome. I am super, super excited about having this this guest on today. Josh Campbell um, has had just an unbelievable career so far. Um, he's he's uh, you know in in his 30s, uh, and um, he got involved in finance early on his in his career, and uh, took booster juice with a team and uh, uh, grew that out across the United States, um, and sold just before, uh, 2008 and the economic downturn. He was involved, uh, again, with a group of people and growing out Starbucks stores, uh, 500 Starbucks stores, uh, when he was there and then saw an opportunity with Sage wellness, uh, Sage natural wellness when they were, and made just a massive, massive, uh, growth. They, they were, they were selling an enormous, uh, uh, percentage uh, volume uh, in their stores, and and basically grew the store out uh, tremendously, and sold out with the original partners in in a couple years. Got involved in the cannabis space, and the hearing healthcare space, and now right now is looking to transform protein. Uh, fascinating story. Uh, Josh is really really up some up to some stuff, and. He is a real humble leader, um, you know, always looking to learn, always looking to make a difference. So I know you're going to love this podcast. I'm really excited that uh, I was able to catch up with Josh and bring his amazing story uh, to all of us. So, and again, you know, what we're up to is finding other amazing leaders who really, really want to make a difference in the world. We've got huge problems like Josh's, Josh's, you know, uh, dealing with the huge problem of, um, you know, the environment and how do we, how do we feed this, this, this world. And this is a a real big, big opportunity that he's seeing with protein. And if you know of anyone who's interested shoot me an email or have any fee- feedback about our show, Thompson at studentworks.com. You can send people to our website at studentworks.com. And, or you could share this podcast with, with someone, a uh, young leader who is looking looking for a big future. Thanks so much. So Josh, welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. Chris, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, no, it's really it's really awesome to catch up. I know um, it, it's been a it's been a while since since you left the program, and and again, a, a, amazing amazing success. So uh, you know, and and I'm really excited to dig into that. But if we start before you join the program, so so think you know before Lori, before student works, you know what were you up to? Any frustrations that you're seeing as a as a teenager? Oh gosh, no, no, no frustrations. Being a teenager is
0: really easy. Um, no issues at all. I don't know who would have that. Uh, no, no, I, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I grew up um, a little overweight, and like many, many folks, acne, and you know, it's, it's, it's you're going through those formative years where it's where it's tough, and hmm. uh, you know, colorblind as well, and and I uh, mean, vision is just totally awful. Right. So you've got glasses, braces, acne, overweight. I mean, it was it was uh it was a really peachy time. Uh, <laughs> my early adolescence.
1: So, what do you still rely on from the program?
0: You know, Chris, you know, we were we were we were catching up a little while ago about this, and I let I me mean, if you want start here. There's so many things like the, it, the program for me was very, so fundamental in that it taught you everything you need to know about a business really early on and Mm -hmm. at the time i didn't realize it Mm -hmm. i mean this i was in the program before smartphones you're getting text messages and things like that but you're learning everything from sales which is one of the most important things i think anyone in business needs to understand then you planning right forecasting yes hiring which is probably the hardest thing and then managing you know people management and client management i mean it's really soup to nuts Uh, and i you know, as I mentioned before, I draw on this, the, the learnings, I'll call them because you make mistakes at, uh, which is a great time Absolutely. to make mistakes when you're young. Yes. And the, and the pressures are a little bit less, although at the time you think it's the end of the world if something For goes sure. wrong. Um, so I, I mention it to all my teams regularly that the kind of the learnings I had and the experiences I had
1: from soup to nuts. Oh, that's fantastic. And, and I know, um, we only, we only had the opportunity to work with you with, for one year, which is always disappointing. But I know you you had, at, at Loria, they've got a great co-op program. So you had some really great business experiences. So why don't, you, why don't you talk to our young leaders about those and the impact of those on your career?
0: Awesome. Well, I, I had this idea that I was going into finance. So okay. I had worked in the mailroom of a, of a, a buy-side firm. Even in high school, I would I would take the train in from. I grew up in Air, Ontario, so I'd take the train in for an hour and a half to downtown Toronto. You know, wear the suit and tie, mm. um, you know, do that, and I thought that was my career path. So I, after student works, I picked a, a co-op program, which is like an internship, yeah, at one of the firms, and and did that. Live downtown, and I I really thought I enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, I thought I enjoyed it.
0: And I, I did that for a couple of more of these progress. You have it, You have you have three different co-op uh, exchanges you go on or yeah or times you go on. And I did all three, three different firms to get some experience. And for me it was valuable in that I realized really quickly that's not what I wanted to do.
1: Yeah, yeah. And there's there's something to that though, Josh. Hey, just just discovering the things you don't want, right? Because you know, obviously there's something that draws us to something, right? And and then all of a sudden doing it and going, oh my gosh, this isn't something that really is my jam, something I'm really staying up late wanting to work on, right? I imagine any other signals for you that that it wasn't for you? I mean, you obviously there's a, there's a very
0: high financial reward in the sector, which is why right. um, it, it attracts really smart people. Yes. You know, at the end of the day, um, I was doing it because I thought that's what I should do. It wasn't what I loved doing. I love the skill set I learned there, and I and you know I use that every day. Right. But for me, the idea of sitting in front of a computer, making really beautiful looking PowerPoint presentations to convince someone what to do with their business at like twenty, yeah. like I knew what I was talking about, um, was a bit was a bit uh, disingenuous to me. And right, I always thought uh, there was this uh, disconnect between many folks in the sector who thought they knew best. People that actually did the work. Um, so for me, it was I like I love creating things. Like since a little kid, I love building forts. I love building businesses. I love seeing people develop. Right. So I didn't get that. Uh, there's not a lot of people development in the finance world. There's not a lot of building of of physical things. Of course, yes. in that world, but you meet some super interesting people. Uh, yes. You see mass amounts of wealth be created and and destroyed uh mm. in a short period um and you you generally have the inside track of what's coming up because it it comes through that uh, that space first in many cases
1: yeah like you know ultimately businesses need money and so that's a huge part of making a business successful is is having having the financial resources and another thing is is that There just are so many smart people in the industry. So that's certainly something, again, obviously not in the industry, but we have so many of our amazingly smart people have gone into the industry. And I, and it's just, I, you know, I love hanging out with really smart people. Like it just, it's, it's fascinating. They're interested, they're interesting and, uh, uh, working on neat things. So that's some, something that's a, that that's, that's kind of an advantage, but you, you, so you, you graduate from Laurier and so what, wh- where did you go then in terms of your career path, uh, Josh?
0: So after graduating Laurier, I, <clears throat> excuse me, I worked for a private equity company, but on the op- operations side. So actually okay. running a business. So we, we rolled out, uh, I moved to the U S okay. Which I wanted to do, um, you know, as a Canadian, you you know, you could you could be in a small pond, or you can go to the world's biggest pond, and I wanted to do that. Yeah. Uh, so so did that. We we rolled out a uh, uh, a series of locations. We bought a bunch. We ended up selling the business in, in early two thousand eight, which made us look really smart, but we right. were really lucky on timing
1: more than anything else. And what was the business that you were working on?
0: So it was juice and smoothie bars. Um, okay. The brand name was booster juice actually. Okay. So booster juice, if you're familiar from sure. Canada. Yeah.
1: Yes. So we took it across the U S. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. And so the, so the timing around 2008 was just, was just good fortune. You, you felt like that was the time or the partners felt like that was the time to, to make a sale. Exactly. It was kind of, it was, it was pretty close to peak. Uh, yes. And then the world fell apart shortly thereafter. Hmm. And so, so what did you, what did you do then? I guess, you know, did you have some money on the side and sort of, we're looking at what to do next? Is that, well, is that what happened?
0: Yeah. So I want to come back to Canada. So actually I was finishing up my, my CMA, Okay. which going with a Laurier background was, was shockingly a light lift, let's call it Okay. Um, because he did so many <laughs> prerequisites already. So right. a friend of mine was working at Starbucks. And I said, Oh, I love Starbucks. I love the company. I love, you know, as
1: a retail nerd, I love what they've been able to do. I've got Starbucks in my cup right now. So, so it's Exactly. I I love I love the brand. I love the third, you know, what what is it? The third space. The third or the place. Third, yeah. Third place and for me it's always been that. Well, I guess for a long time, not not always, but it's been it's been for 10, 10 plus years and now not not in the pandemic. So uh, so how was that experience? And what did you what did you learn there? so I mean first of all it's
0: interesting going for <clears throat> to a company that you admire greatly as from the outside and mm-hmm. everything from the way I mean I think Starbucks gets a bit of a um uh, is very well misunderstood let's probably put it that way sure um first of all people often see it as neg- like this big conglomerate they see it kind of as Walmart or McDonald's where I always kind of love Walmart and McDonald's because they right. are very good at what they do yes. But you know, at Starbucks at the time, you, you kind of pull the you pull the hood back, and you're like, "Oh, you're running everything on Excel. This is uh, you're doing you know billion one in sales, and Excel is the database. Got it. Cool, interesting. You know, and we had basically a POS systems running DOS at the time, which, uh, which probably dates both of us here, knowing yes. what that actually means. So it was it was first of all just just understanding that hey, you can be really admired externally, and then internally. It might not have the state of the art systems. Yeah. So for me, that's that's one thing. When when people are talking about starting a business, they say, "Okay, I've got, I've for example, got and got NetSuite." I'm like, "Why? Like, yeah. they don't like you mm-hmm. can you, you can be you can do a lot with a pen and paper." Yes. Or Excel before you need to invest in systems and things like that that are expensive. And then from the people's perspective, I mean, Starbucks. Is, I love the company. I have great friends that are that are still there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the we all know how difficult it is being a people leader. Now take that and do that with three hundred thousand people. That, that's oh, very crazy. challenging. Yeah. So understanding um, how to do that and how to scale a business was was really valuable for me, and you know I had a chance to work with some some great people and see pretty much all of Canada mm-hmm. during my time there. But ultimately, for me, I was I'm very entrepreneurial, and I was there for five years. And it's a, while it's a great organization, it didn't mirror up with the entrepreneurial spirit that, that I wanted.
1: Yeah. And so why don't we, why don't we stay a while on Starbucks? Cause first of all, I'm fascinated. So 2009, take us back to, you know, just your recollection of how big Starbucks was in 2009, when you joined Starbucks and what your role was and what, you know, how many stores were you gaining per year? What were you doing? Et cetera.
0: Well, this is a real test to see my, how my memory is back yes. about, uh, that yeah. far. I originally joined in finance and I think I lasted three months there, maybe four months in, in, in the finance team.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: um having, you know, having the 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 finance degrees and I also speak French. So at the time um, or just prior to me joining, we had acquired back a licensed portion of the business. The Quebec and Atlantic business was was owned by a licensee. Oh, okay. Which is often the case when American brands come to Canada. You don't want to deal with Quebec, yeah. So you say, okay, I'll, I'll find someone who's an expert. We'll license them and take a and take a royalty fee or a licensing fee for it. Yes. So we had just purchased it back at the top of the market, and we had to execute the plans that the deal makers had signed us up for. So it was it was flying to Montreal every week to integrate, you know, to to go to a city like Montreal and say, okay, we're not going to serve alcohol. We're going to take out these great fresh pastries that you guys have and make and store uh-huh. every day. We're going to ship you in frozen pastries from um, from Mississauga, and uh, yeah, and and by the way, we're bringing a bunch of folks from Ontario. Like it did not go over.
1: Yeah, yeah, could totally get it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so so, anyways, we got through that, and we ended up we ended up doing some wonderful, wonderful work in uh, in Quebec uh, and Atlantic Canada, and then I had a chance to to go out west to to help turn around the Western Central business.
1: Right. Let's go back to cuz cuz for for our our listeners if you've ever been to Montreal you know in Quebec like there is something about Quebec you know it's just the joie de vivre and and it's and it's so it's such a unique culture and so from Starbucks point of view or from a you know a business point of view why is it so important for Starbucks to say no we need the pastries to be the same no we can't you know it's it's like there's a limit to how much how different the stores can be even even though we're in this wonderful place uh, in, in in like like quebec
0: yeah so you're you're Dead on. I mean, the, the culture in uh, Quebec and Montreal, in, in particular, is, yeah. is quite uh, different than the rest of Canada. Um, you know, <clears throat> there's a reason for standardization across the board so that all your systems work together, so you can scale the business appropriately. Right. Then there was a practical standpoint of you know having ovens in stores is is very challenging. And it's very expensive to have those in stores. As you continue. Like downtown Montreal rent is not inexpensive. Right. So the you want to maximize capacity for for customers. So that was that was another one of the one of the reasons. There's also some basic economies of scale you get when you when you start removing uh well in theory at least,
1: start removing some of those on-site uh considerations. Okay. Okay, great, great. I always remember one of my uh my friends. I met the one of the first master licensees of Subway. So mm. and and I remember um I went over for dinner to his place, uh, and I went, oh gee, I was over I was over at this uh place over in, you know, Scarborough or North York and he he had some seafood sauce on the on the on the subway sub it was really great and 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 i guess at the time not being a great uh, not being as knowledgeable as i am now in my in my 20s it was it, he he like it he was so angry he goes oh yeah those guys it's like their mums will make the meatballs and i go no no you know you got to use our meatballs and and it's and and maybe again you you like it. But then the problem is, is as a subway customer, you go to Mississauga and it's not there and you're asking for it and there's confusion. So, yeah. so that's a big thing that again, a, a, a really successful brand wants to limit. Well, it's consistency. It's consistency yeah. and experience,
0: which is important. So that's why if you look at um, something, and again, I use McDonald's um, yeah. as an example quite often. There are some regional differences, of course, there's different menu items, but anywhere in the world, you can go and get a Big Mac and you know exactly what it's going to taste like. And you may not enjoy Big Macs, but it's pretty hard to argue with the success
1: McDonald's has had with that model. 100%. Absolutely. So, so you, you make the impact in, in Quebec, you're moving back out West. Cause I, uh, cause I, I, I uh, you know, please continue with that story, Josh.
0: Yeah. So I, I, uh, the, uh, mentor and running partner of mine was actually my boss at the time. And we were in Whistler at a conference and, and doing some skiing. I said, Hey, if there's ever a chance to come out here, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, I'm your guy. <laughs> and we laughed. And six months later, I, I, uh, I came out West and, uh, fell in love with Vancouver, um, realized what rain really is for nine months of the year. Yeah, and had a chance to to dive into Starbucks' oldest international market. Mm-hmm. And for those growing up in you know, Ontario, and and probably many many folks listening to it here don't, yeah, you see Starbucks with a with a very uh, different lens than maybe you or I do. Whereas you know I I remember Starbucks service is cool. Like yeah. it, it it's a it was it was the blue bottle of the time. Yeah. In Vancouver, we had. Second generation Starbucks consumers coming on. So mom and dad drink Starbucks. I don't want that, right? I want this cool independent cafe. I want intelligentsia. I want this. I want that. So we had a really interesting task of trying to take uh, you know, a 25-year-old brand and or 25-year-old brand in Vancouver <clears throat> and make it relevant again. Mm-hmm which is which is not easy and you know the east coast customers i will say are far more open to change than folks on vancouver in particular nothing against vancouver but culturally it's quite different i would say um alberta saskatchewan and manitoba the most open canadians for things ever it's pretty it's pretty remarkable how as canadians we're so different um east to west we are much more similar to our our neighbors to the north or to Mm -hmm. the south rather there we are even within Canada when it comes mm-hmm. to product adoption and things like that and, and
1: spending patterns. Right. So your experience out, out, out West, eventually it started running out in terms of, you know, working with, a again, a fantastic brand, lots of growth opportunities, lots of learning, and you were always looking for what's next, I imagine.
0: Yeah, very much so. So, uh, so while I I loved what I was doing, you know, for me, I had some financial goals that I wanted to to hit, mm-hmm. and I had some career goals in terms of like what I wanted to accomplish. That for me, Starbucks was just not going to be the place to to do that, despite having some some great success in my five years there. Right. So I was actually and I ended up being uh, I was actually presenting at a panel up at Whistler at a at a panel that I was not qualified to be on. I think it was like social media and brand. I, I was not the guy, but I somehow got roped into it and uh, ended up meeting a, a a family that was running a company called sage natural wellness and and you know, they came up to me after and said, "Hey, do you know anyone that can help us um with this company we've got?" and we've we're doing you know basically break even sales. Um, you know, we we do these little essential oils, and I sat down with him and looked at the numbers, and I was like, "Holy smokes!" Like, yeah, your your sales per square foot are higher than Apple is doing. Wow! And without even turning the gas on. So, through a bunch of back and forth, on I ended up investing in the business and, and leaving Starbucks. And um, you know, we scaled that business from basically break even to high mid thirties EBITDA. And ended up selling it about 18 months later to a private equity group. So we, we built out Canada very quickly and having come from Starbucks, I'd built and done probably 500 stores in my career there. So in five years, which is a lot, yeah. um, started doing that per year. Um, so I knew the Canadian market very well. I had all the, I had all the relationships already with the big landlords. Right. So it was, it was a perfect fit to be able to scale a retail business up and we did it, you know, we, we, did it on like a, a soft horse table. Like we were very frugal about how we did it right. um, with the goal of building a very, very lean business um, that we could then monetize the upside for. And we were very fortunate to be able to do
1: that. Right. And so it, just in terms of, of what's it take to build out a store that s- s- stores that fast or what, what, it would what, what, you know, what's, what's most significant in being able to do that, Josh?
0: Well, I think, uh, first of all, it's it's real estate driven. Um, right. So you have to have the real estate more than anything else, which in Canada is a handful of landlords that control all the shopping malls and all the all the A sites. So yes, as long as you have relationships there, um, and you've got a very good value proposition, I think you know with this with this COVID climate, we're seeing some great opportunities for those that are looking for physical space again to, to right. take advantage of it. Um, that's number one. The, number two is of course the team. Mm-hmm. So we we uh, I brought. Uh, my my former uh, admin actually over from Starbucks uh, to join me and, and be my right-hand partner. Right. As we started to build these, these stores out and we brought on uh, a great GC uh, to help us do that. And then we built the operations team behind that. So we, we kept it very lean with very, very good people and we had a standardized playbook. Right. So while there was some customization first, you know, in Polo park in Winnipeg, of course is different than uh, Toronto Eaton center, mm-hmm. but, the filet was the same, generally speaking, all you, obviously all the products are the same, the internal operations are the same. So that made it a, very easy for easier, I should say, for us yeah. to be able to, uh, to scale the business in that, in that way.
1: Okay. And so, and, and then one of the big things that made retail people excited was obviously in relationships, but also you could show that these were the types of sales that the store was going to be able to generate.
0: Exactly. Yeah, anytime you're in an enclosed mall environment, pretty much anywhere in the world, um, you give a percentage of your sales to the landlord. Mm-hmm. Side note: It's a great business to be a landlord. Let's I say, know. It's, <laughs> or it traditionally has been. Let's put it. Let's put it a big cat. Yeah, who knows what be. the next couple of years hold? Well, yeah. So, so they saw what our productivity is, and if you're if you're a landlord that owns a big shopping mall, you know, and you're leasing, your job is to drive productivity per foot. That's a, that's a very key metric you look for. And, uh, we were very creative to that, to that. Um, so landlords loved us because while we took small space, yeah. we could drive pretty high sales in a small environment, which is very challenging to, like an apparel retailer can't do that. Right. The right. gap is yeah, really unproductive per foot. Cause you've got a bunch of clothes, you know, you're, we're selling uh, a two ounce bottle, mm-hmm. right? So we could do like, let's call it, $3 million in sales out, you know, in, in the space of which you'd put a sunglass hut in. Right. Wow.
1: Well, no, that's, well, that's, that's fantastic. And quite a, uh, a massive, uh, a massive turnaround or not a turnaround, a growth story, right. Really is, is what it is. You know? I mean,
0: it was a 22 year overnight success. Um, oh, okay. like Yeah. So, so I, I came in very late towards it and, you know, the team had been doing it for years and, you know, we started in an office that was probably 700 square feet in Chinatown of Vancouver that, uh, the family had had actually built out themselves, um, and then, and then scale that up to a a really healthy business.
1: Fantastic. So what was next? And and I know that was quite a, uh, a, quite a big economic success for you. You know, how did that, how did that, did, did that change your thinking about things or, or just next, uh, next play? (laughs)
0: <laughs> I mean, so it, gives, it gives you it gives you a little more uh, uh, a little more security for sure. Um, okay. did not change the mindset at all. It just means you have a little another tool in the toolbox to go forward. Okay. So after that, I ended up um, working with a hearing healthcare brand, and the idea was to to transform the narrative of hearing healthcare in Canada. Okay. Candidly, it was more of an M and A roll up play. We you know we had a low cost of goods. We could buy these businesses and pay a certain multiple, and we were quasi publicly traded. Mm-hmm of the European stock exchange. So we were able to, to basically play the Delta between what we pay for a business versus what the market was paying us for our business. Right. Interesting. Um, not inspiring from my perspective, Okay. but certainly an interesting experience. And then I was approached oddly by a, by a group that was, um, and they were very coy about what the what the business was. It was something in this new cannabis space, right? And I said, "Listen, I am not a cannabis. I've never used cannabis, despite being Canadian. it uh, yeah. which is never my thing. I was like, no, you know, for I sure. Just, yeah. I'm not nothing against it, but it just wasn't my cup of tea.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, oddly enough, I was actually at Amsterdam at a at a bachelor party when I got this phone call of all places, of course. Um, I said, "No, I'm not interested." And they, you know, they told me what it was, and ended up meeting the board of directors for this this company and and I invested in, and and stepped in to run it and the company's called Dosis. So, yes. If you're in Toronto or Vancouver, you may have seen the billboards we had up with our not in, not available in Canada campaign and we work very hard to transform the legislative kind of uh, environment as as part of the Liberals' uh, mandate to legalize cannabis. Right. So, yeah, so I came into that business as, a, as an investor and as president of the company. And for two years, really, we were lobbyists, um, which is a whole other experience. So, of course, we have to set up a supply. So, setting up a supply chain in a, in a market that doesn't exist, a legal market, I should say, that doesn't exist. Yeah, Because the black market's pretty frothy. Of course. Um, And, you know, people that have no idea what they're doing, Health Canada that had no idea what they were doing. and. You know uh, a governing body um, mostly the Senate of the House that uh, did we were so afraid that cannabis was gonna start creating deaths and all this silliness yes that it was a very slow process but uh, and I got to, I got a chance to test I was actually the the first person who legally sold cannabis to testify in front of Senate as an expert Wow. Which is scary because I know nothing. I still at the time I knew nothing about cannabis. I had been in the industry for six months, and I was like, "If I'm an expert, we've got bigger problems." (laughs) But it was it was my Zuckerberg moment. My
1: my parents were very proud. (laughs) Who who should be the expert? The person who's selling uh, cannabis, uh, you know, in and around bushes uh, out west. You know, the guy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I will say, you know, I I had a negative uh, view early on,
0: and um, I will say. It was an interesting confluence of of worlds where you had and uh, a little less so now as the industry's flattened out a bit, but um you know early stage it was it was you know folks that had made a lot of money in cannabis, mostly in the u s yeah, and you had bankers on the other side of the table, and everyone's kind of coming together trying to try and figure out what the world is gonna look like with the, with these legal
1: changes yes well it's been it's been fascinating again from a from a distance you know, again, it's, it's, it's this enormous market that has existed forever. And, and again, I'm sort of the same, not somebody who really, you know, is really all that involved in cannabis, but cannabis and, and then just seeing this, this market and then how does it get, you know, legalized? And it's interesting, the differences between the U S and Canada, like, like here, it, quite early on it could get banked the cannabis business but in mm-hmm. the united states it's still you know literally not being banked so you yep. can't finance it and people are frightened of you know whether where their businesses get taken over by the federal government because it, because again they've there's been state legalization but not national legaliz- legalization you know there's a lot more of a of a of a concern over cannabis thinking that it's somehow like other drugs, you know, where in Canada, there's kind of a sense of, well, it's mostly, it's kind of pretty similar to alcohol, you know, in terms of, in terms of the effects.
0: Yeah. It it is very interesting. The misunderstanding. And and quite frankly, a lot of policy driven um, by racial prejudice. I mean, if you you look back at the history of it, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, if you look at the history of substances being banned, Logic and reason don't usually have a factor in it. It's never a health concern per se. Right. It's, it's typically there's a there's a need to um, push out a certain group. Okay. And and they say, wait, well, we can't say no of X people here, but we'll say, say, right. okay, these people often use it, so we're gonna we're gonna push it.' Whether it's you know Latin Americans, uh, primarily Mexicans with cannabis early on, right, or whether it's um, uh, Chinese immigrants with opium. I mean, there's countless examples of what, were, what has been has been seen in the past.
1: Okay.
0: And of course, I mean, we saw how prohibition—not we didn't see, but of course, we read about um, yes. how how alcohol prohibition absolutely didn't work. Yeah. Um, and for some reason, the thought process was, "Let's try this again by multiple different ways."
1: Yes. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and now we're seeing we're now we're seeing the same thing that happened in the cannabis market come into certain psychedelics as well yeah. as the next wave um, moving through legalization.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and and again, so much of this is also just involved in simply politics. It's not business. Mm-hmm. It's politics. It's it's you know how do we get reelected, and and so sure. some people again fearful of it. Okay, then if I'm out in front of this, then I won't get reelected. And again, I think that's why Canada's moved to legalize it ahead of the United States, because again, Canadians sort of see it as oh, okay, sure, yeah, you know, no, no, I, I think I think.
0: I think you're dead on there. It's it's definitely a political issue more than a logic and health issue. Um, right. I mean, if you look at alcohol as one of the worst substances you can be consuming from a health yes. perspective. Yeah. I've seen people try and overdose on cannabis. It's it's pretty much impossible. Yeah. It's yes, enjoyable yeah. to watch, but it's pretty much impossible. Um, <laughs> you know, and there's many substances like that as well that you you, you physically can't take enough of, of the substance for it to do any, any, any
1: uh, really, serious real, damage. Real serious damage. Yeah. Yeah, of course. So, alcohol is
0: the opposite. We hear about uh, especially kids in, in uh, university, of course, over drinking.
1: Yes, been there it's very ourselves. dangerous. Yeah. yeah, it's it's very it, it, yeah. It's it, or it's much more dangerous. Yeah. So with with this dosis, you know what's what's happened to the brand? I know you've moved. Are you still? Do you have just still have a, a participation in that business? Yeah, I'm
0: still an investor, but I'm not active in the business any longer. Okay, Uh moved on. To, you know, if you look at kind of the career path of of you know working with. Uh, coffee and learning, you know, how to take a commoditized product and, and create an experience around it and then running that same playbook then in the essential oil space, you do a little bit of it in the hearing healthcare space, absolutely doing it in the cannabis or wellness space. Right. And so now I'm doing that again um, in a category that's bigger than all that, which is, which is sustainable nutrition.
1: Right. So tell us, tell us about that and what that opportunity is.
0: Yeah. So, so, about maybe 18 months ago, I was uh, I was at Dosis with my team, and I started seeing the valuations for companies like Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods. And you know, living in LA, I, I think I'm the only person that maybe eats gluten in in Los Angeles. <laughs> and uh, it was interesting seeing uh, the speed at which these alternative meats were taking off. And so I had a food science team that reported to me. It was our innovation lab. And so, food science. uh, So the innovation lab was made up of food scientists. There's not a lot of uh, cannabis innovation that happens uh, without having a a great food background. Right. So I asked them. I said, "Hey guys, like, how? Like, I'm a bit of an outsider in this, in the from the science here, but I'm looking at these products, and there's a ton of chemicals in here. It doesn't look like the nutritional values is good as meat. It just seems like it's not meat." And they said, "Josh, you're dead on. It's kind of like saying if meat is Coca-Cola." This is like Diet Coke when all you really want is a glass of water. So it was not meat, but it wasn't uh, nearly as good as as uh, other products that were out there. And so, and by the way, these valuations were crazy. So I said, okay, this is interesting. So big market, consumers yeah. are already buying, which is essentially is a, is a better veggie patty and which has been around for 40 years. Right. And um, so I said, okay, what's the most efficacious um, food source? It's like, that's great for you. That's whole thing. It should be whole food-based. It is great for the environment. Right. Part of the argument, of course, is, uh, which I, of course, uh, fully believe, is that, that uh, animal agriculture is, is pretty tough on the environment. Yes. And so I said, well, it's, that's easy. We've known it for thousands of years It's insects. I said, what do you mean? And they said, well, two billion people a year eat insects as their primary protein source. I said, you're kidding. Two billion people. Two wow. billion people. I said, oh, I've had like the worm and tequila and things like that, you know, and many people have had, you know, cold crick- roasted crickets when they go to Mexico. And so I started looking into it. And first of all, the science was dead on. It's really interesting to see how good uh, cricket primarily, but mealworms as well. Um, super, super high nutritional value, low fat content, high fiber, whole food items. So from a selfish perspective, it's a great product to ingest for your body. Right. Okay. From an environmental standpoint, it's incredible. Because it uses a fraction of the resources that um, animal agriculture uses. Okay. So I started looking across the landscape and realized very quickly it it was similar to cannabis and essential oils and coffee. You had hobbyists at one end of the spectrum, which were folks creating like bug chips and things like that. And then you had people who were investing in like major agricultural systems, right? Right. Grow massive, massive, massive amounts of the product. But in both cases, just like in cannabis, there's no brands, right? So people are coming to market saying, eat bugs, eat bugs. Well, imagine if Jell O came to market and said, hey, here's what Jell O is. Would you like some? It's it's ground up who's and sugar with some food coloring. Like, no,
1: no, of course not. No, yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, so it was all for Jello. It's all about having fun, you know. Bill Cosby's relationship with Jello aside, for a moment,
1: <laughs> but 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 remember, it's Bill Cosby at the time who exactly, was one exactly. of you know uh, North America's or the world's favorite comedians and dads. So yeah. not not the person he is, or you know, or yeah, it's, so yeah, just currently, yeah, or yeah, privately, um, privately known to be. So yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And there's
0: lots of people now listening to this, googling just to understand the backstory. Yes, um, yeah, <laughs> but the. The, the benefit they had was saying, "Okay, we're going to take a product and make it fun. We're going to take yeah. sugar and gelatin and position it in such a way that you want to have it, right? And we said, "Well, why is no one doing this in the insect world?" So we took the same team that built the doses brand and said, "Let's come over and let's let's do something different." So we we ended up acquiring actually a company out of Winnipeg called Crick Nutrition, which had created the first protein powder, okay. a supplement using cricket protein. We cleaned it up. We 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 went through probably eight months of formula iteration and created the cleanest uh, protein powder on the market. So for folks that use whey protein typically after working out or yeah. pea the original intention was to to use the protein brand as a catalyst. Um we say we say using the power of marketing to trick people to do things that are good for themselves in the world right. rather than things that are bad. Yeah. So that was kind of our, our gateway in and then we realized very quickly that it's a much superior product. Um, it's it, first of all, if, if you've ever used protein, it can leave you bloated, gassy, it tastes like garbage. in Most cases full of sugars. So we, we, anyways, that we not to go too far into it. We claimed the cleanest, best tasting product out there and we did it with cricket, um, wow. which is pretty wild. So, um, you know, that's been that's been exciting for us. The other thing we did is again coming back to experience, which again coming back from my early student work days, how do you create that great experience for your consumer? Yes. So well, for us, the idea of big plastic tubs totally sucked, right? It's a bad user ex- first of all, it's a bad shopping experience because you've got to go get a big tub, you know, and walk through the aisle like that. It's very intimidating, especially for female consumers because most of the target is for men. Yeah. And so we ended up changing the entire system so we said okay instead of a tub why don't we you know we had a scoop in why don't we just do a packet that you can rip and pour in so there's okay. no mess really okay. easy and then we can we can put it in a square box versus a round tub which means we can put more on shelf which means we can ship more which means we save money um mm-hmm. which we can pass on to the consumer and then we ended up launching the first recyclable sachet as well with it so not only do we figure out very challenging powder product to make (laughs) cricket powder. We ended up launching the first recyclable sachet as well, um, into market. So it's been a very interesting time taking two products that have never been on market before and launching them together during COVID.
1: That's fantastic. And I I am a, a whey protein powder, uh, consumer. And, uh, so, so the other interesting thing as you're talking through this is, is those bottles aren't full. Right. So you're two thirds
0: at best. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so it's, so obviously they're doing something there. Oh, here, come get this big thing. Right. But then they're not filling them up. So, so that's fascinating about, about, you know, shifting about how you're using it. And, and I just had a protein shake and I'm feeling a little full. So, so, um, so (laughs) maybe it was too big, but maybe it's, uh, the impact of this, this, this whey powder versus cricket. So that was one thing while you were talking, I was going, how do they manufacture crickets? So, so tell me about that. And, and, and like, I, I, you know, cause I, I've seen this on your LinkedIn and and I didn't really understand it at all. So I'm finding this fascinating. So we actually work with a partner, a farm partner up in Peterborough um, called Entomo Farms. And
0: they are the, they are really the the only organic uh, cricket farm in the world. Okay. So it was started by three brothers and they've, they've had some success recently scaling up their business, but they've taken essentially chicken coops and called the, created what they call cricket condos. Okay. So it's about an eight week, um, life cycle period. So the crickets are are, uh, grown in a hot human environment. So it feels a little bit like Miami in August um, in these, (laughs) in these uh, cricket condos. But if you can imagine walking into a chicken coop uh, that's been emptied out um, with a whole series of almost like egg crates laid out uh, on tabletops, there's a drip system. So they get water and they get essentially chicken feed is given to them. And so uh, you'd think it'd be very loud, but the, the crickets actually are harvested before they mature. So you don't, they don't have uh, wings. Okay. So you, so you walk in this environment, like I said, it's about eight weeks from, from hatching to harvesting and then to harvest them. Uh, because again, they're insects. All you do is, is you can do two things. You can either uh, introduce CO2 into the environment, which takes out the oxygen, right. um, or you can just cool them using right. dry ice. Okay um and then those then those crickets are washed in ground so whole crickets are are used washed ground dried and then sifted okay and then we we get them dried and ground again to get a really fine powder out of it okay and so the end product ends up being which you'd look like it looks like whey protein it looks it just, it's just a, it's just a brown
1: powder at the end of the day um with a bit of an earthy taste to it and so so 2 billion people can't be wrong um it, you know <laughs> But it's but it's a healthier, more environmentally friendly protein powder. Well,
0: it's way health. Yeah. So so for those, you know, um, I you know, I grew up with a, with family in the in the agriculture industry in Ontario, and you start visiting farms, and and everyone says, "Oh, insects are gross." I would challenge everyone go to go to a poultry farm. It is disgusting. Yeah. Uh, so keep in mind, like you know, for example, crickets don't have the same excrement that animals do. Right. It, and that excrement is actually used as a fertile, it's great, it's called frass. It's fairly odorless as well. Um, obviously, there's no blood that's there. Um, for, like, like you'd see the slaughterhouse. Yes. Um, and there's a humane element of it as well. There's an ethical element that I think a lot of people resonate. For me personally, it's, it's the health benefits. Right. Cause you're getting a whole food, you're getting a ton of fiber, a ton of B12 and all your amino acids, things that you, you can't get, uh, just in meat.
1: Fantastic. Well, great, great. Yeah. And, 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 and obviously, uh, you know, you've pointed out, you know, there's, there's a real concern about what we're doing around the environment you know, how we're going to deal with meat moving into the future. So, so if, you know, again, if uh, I'm sure all of our, our, our leaders listening are very concerned as well uh, about this, about this opportunity. So, so, you know, and then in this sort of shift back, you know, how, how, what about the economic opportunity here? How's that looking for you, Josh, and, in, in 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 the business?
0: Yeah, we're early stage. So, so I always joke with my team and say, if people don't tell you you're crazy, you're too late. <laughs> so in every business uh, whether it's essential oils or or you know cannabis everyone told me I was out of my mind. They said there's no freaking way people are going to pay that kind of money for this product. Uh, and so far the track record's been pretty good. Um yeah. so we're at we're at that stage. You know just this week um we got some great, pre- great great press. So now the the macro momentum is changing. The early adopters have always been very bullish on it. Right. You know, but for us we approach you know, the, the products we're building and the category, the same way Jeff Bezos approached uh, Amazon and Books. Right. So we're not building a company, a protein powder company. We're building a sustainable nutrition company that happens to have powder protein as the first product. Okay. So. We're probably 18 months away from seeing real momentum take off in the category, but you have, you know, Robert Downey Jr. was just on uh, Stephen Colbert uh, the other night with his investment in the insect space talking about it. Um, You're seeing companies like Men's Health. Um, we, used, we were in Shape magazine got a feature yesterday talking about the benefits of it. Um, you know, we've got a number of former Tesla executives and NBA uh, MBA players that have joined our team on the investment front and are using the product regularly. So okay. it's coming, but like any any massive change, it, it does take some time. So I would liken us much more to the Tesla trajectory. Uh, hopefully, valuation someday uh, of, <laughs> of what they're of what they they've done. You know, starting yeah. with a particular product and then scaling the business from there. Uh, but if we can use the what are the products we've built to date and the narrative to help change the mindset, I mean, no one's done this before. So we'll uh, we'll see what the the next few months bring.
1: Well, that's exciting. That's exciting. And so, are some of the the things that you mentioned, because I didn't catch all of them, are some of those from other competitors as well, or are those all just yours, Those, those investments? and noteworthy just that's fantastic
0: oh they're 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 within us yeah so the rob robert downey jr has has invested in a european company that's really focused on um the cult we call the cultivation side so manufacturing okay Okay. we uh i've always i've always brought in great manufacturing partners for Mm. i mean it's very capital intensive and i'm definitely not an expert on that so so my secret sauce is being really close to the consumer Okay, and focusing on that part of the value chain, but many right. folks have invested um, in the manufacturing side to date. Which, again, looking at cannabis essential oils, that will do well, but only if consumers have the demand for
1: it. Hundred percent. And so, so can you talk about next potential uh, products that, yeah. that would be part of this?
0: Well, we again, so so our business isn't so much about um, just looking at insects; it's about sustainable nutrition. So okay. You know, we're very, it's very interesting to see what's happening in terms of people's daily rituals, right? We look at, okay, uh, as we have our Starbucks coffee here, Yeah. how can you do, how, you know, coffee is what, an $80, $80 billion a year category in the US? Um, so that's that, you know, especially at home coffee. Right. Um, so huge, huge market. And so we're looking to say, how can we do a better version of that? How can we make that sustainable? Maybe use coffee, like, how can we replace that ritual? With something that's much more sustainable. So we're very keen on looking at uh, things like mushrooms. So mushroom coffee is really exciting given the size of the category. Because you get all benefits of coffee, limited caffeine, way less of an environmental impact on it. And you don't get the negative effects of coffee, which can be you know, lack of focus and jitters and things like that. So we're looking at saying, okay, where are the categories where we can start to change things up a little bit right. um, that and do good for the consumer, do good for the environment? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, oh, fantastic! Well, no, this uh, very, very exciting. I, I, I didn't, I didn't know uh, the breadth of of the opportunity you're working on. So, this one seems like it'll be longer for you to stay in. Like, you know, w- would that be accurate? I, I think so. I mean, we, it's, it's a lot of fun, first of all. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of it's going
0: to be uh, dependent on on uh, where you know where the business goes. But uh, I'm, I mean, I'm, I've invested a significant amount of of my own capital uh, and time into it. We've built an awesome team here and I think we're just getting started here.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the things, one of the things, uh, I, 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 I remember one of our alumni, one of our guys coming in and sort of complaining to the district manager and saying, gosh, there's just always, always these problems. There's always these problems. There's always these problems. And the district manager saying, I don't think you understand if, if you want to be successful in business, that's what you're waking up for. And so when I hear you talking about this, there's these, again, problems, there's these challenges, there's these enormous challenges that we're facing as a world, and you're trying to tackle them, right? And that's really seems pretty uh, exciting, you know, that, that wake up in the morning. Well, I think that's what entrepreneurs do. They're essentially problem solvers yes. in many cases, right? Absolutely. So we've talked a lot about success. What about failures or mistakes, Josh? And and how do you see those? So how do you see failures and mistakes? Oh gosh, so many.
0: Um I, I <laughs> uh, a good friend of mine mentioned he called it the stupid tax. And I was like, I like that. That's a good line. So I've lost more money than I've made by far. And I, I think if you're doing something interesting, you're gonna make mistakes. Um so I look at it kind of like the like the weather person. Um, you know, if you're right 51% of the time, that that could be good enough. Right. <laughs> as long as you make mistakes small and and adjust quickly. Um, You know, so already today, I probably made five or six mistakes uh, (laughs) during our chat.
1: And it's early for Josh, by the way, it's 7am. Josh, Josh was up early on the West Coast for me. So yeah. Yeah, I think I think you know when you're when you're in your twenties, you want to make
0: uh, you want to say yes to everything and try a lot of things and learn what works and what doesn't work. And as you know, as you get older, I find myself saying no to a lot more things now than I say yes to because uh, your time is much more precious. So I think that's you know that's been very helpful in trying to curb some of the mistakes. But I think people often think of mistakes are bad things. Like mm-hmm. you can make if you make little mistakes quickly and learn from it, that's awesome. Yeah, yes. I think that the, one of the one of the more dangerous things that can happen um, and, you know especially for the folks listening here is to have success early and not have failures. I typically won't hire a senior person unless they've had a really called big F up. Like they've yeah. really messed something up. Cause if you've had success, 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 then you don't know what failure is and yeah. you're gonna fail. Um, yeah. I'd much rather work with people that have had some pretty epic failures and have and have worked their way out of them than someone who's only had success.
1: Yeah. They, they a lot of times as well people think then they're just so smart. And they may be really super smart, but it, it, you know, intelligence doesn't lead us away from failure all the time. Again, failure is such a great teacher and, and sort of seeing, you know, again, circumstances that, that, that create it. And then, like you said, how you, how you deal with it, how you manage it and shorten the pain of it, you know, okay, let's just, let's just stop doing this. It's not working anymore. Rather. A lot of times, a lot of times failure is, you know, People will keep reinvesting because of lost hope or we've, we've invested so much money. We should keep doing it, you know, where, no, the, the, the results are very apparent. We got to stop this. Yeah. I,
0: I I couldn't agree with you more. And you know, when you, I, I think realizing that, or, I mean, first of all, understanding what, uh, what a failure, like a learning failure is and then versus like um, a, an internal failure, let's put it that way. Right. And I think I tell you, I think your point's very well made that a lot of people think um, you know, if there's negative things that happen, that's someone else's fault. Right. And I mean, we see this in leadership. And if something good, it's there. For, I see that you see this all the time and i would call them very bad leaders. Yes. Great leaders. You'll see when something good happens, They it's all the team. Always
1: team. Yes.
0: Um. And when something doesn't work out, they get, they need to own that right away, own it and move on. And that's you. That's you. That's in my opinion. That's that's really what it, it takes. And so few people do that, especially early in their careers, but they don't no one no one wants to fail yeah. right if you're if you're a young leader you don't want to have that but oh my gosh i i wish i wish i had owned it earlier in my career that's a big i would say a big learning for me
1: was own it cool move on let's go yeah yeah um so no it's great and and i i i love also how you highlighted Again the best thing for a leader put their hand up. that's my fault. that's I'm taking full responsibility you know and and then again some somebody's success you know something something wins, that's the team. look at that. Yep. that's fantastic. That is just the way to play yeah and that
0: I said, oh, that's also a wonderful approach too when you you know as leaders start to work in the media and things like that, and when stuff hits the fan if you own it, move on, it takes the air out of the story. It kills us yes. very quickly. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why more leaders don't do that in
1: today's well, day <laughs> it's, it's so easy. We made a mistake. I can't imagine we, 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 oh, well, we just ran an event by the way, and, and a uh, fantastic online event, uh leaders of tomorrow event, a summit. And, and we, we got feedback from people to say, oh, wow, there's not a div- enough diversity in your panel. We went, we totally missed that. It was just like we threw it together and yeah, thank you. And 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 the responses were were great. Oh, just wanted to let you know. We're not judging you. Oh, no, no. We well, thanks. You know, hey, we didn't see it. Like it really is pretty simple. Like, there's not enough diversity. You're right, right? Like right. it's just, you know, rather than oh, somehow, you know, you're thinking that I'm bad. No, no, that's not it. There just there's not enough diversity. You're right. You know, so it's just it's just such a so, so easy, you know, take ownership. Yeah. So as you went from like you know uh a university student to a value creator in the full-time world what did you need to change about yourself josh oh
0: i think (laughs) so many things so many things um i think one thing that i really noticed now coming in is no one cares what you got on a test at all no one cares what your gpa is yeah it doesn't matter and and again looking back like you know, coming from university, um, of course, in the US everyone everyone refers to everything as college, mm-hmm. but oftentimes there's a negative stigma around college, right? Learning a trade. And there's so many people that have gone to university and gotten two or three degrees, and they're awesome baristas, but the math doesn't work out when you spend that much time educating yourself. And nothing wrong with being a barista, by the of way. Of course. No, but no, you don't no. need three degrees to do that, uh, yeah. that role. And I would say, you know, find something you really love doing and don't worry like don't worry about getting accolades you know I I advise a bunch of companies invest in a lot of um, early stage companies and one of the things I saw recently in a a company um, in the beverage space is you know these these two founders which are awesome they won this great UCLA award and and great accolades and I said you guys are in big friggin' trouble because you think you know what you're doing yet you have no idea I said the pain has not started yet and uh, and I do like to poo-poo academics quite a bit Because generally speaking, if someone's really good in the business world, they're often not a professor. There's a few exceptions. Yes, but usually that's not what happens. So um, I'm uh, very—I would say—look at some of those awards is actually a negative thing versus a positive thing. So, and you know, that's—and that's a broader statement on early academics in general—is that the world is not fair, right?
1: Totally not fair.
0: So, and and you, the sooner you can learn that and learn that the rule, there's no rules to to play by like that out there, that the world will beat you up. And as soon as you can learn to deal with that, the better. But if you think that there's a set parameters a nice little warm fence, like you're, you're in for a world of pain. Um, and especially if you want to be an entrepreneur, um,
1: some of the
0: best entrepreneurs I know have never finished, uh,
1: university. Yes, exactly. Yeah, no, for for sure. And, and like you said as well, I think, I think, you know, we're, we're, we, we coach break the rules, not the law, you know? So it's, it's just kind of like, just, just, just understanding that, that again, you're, you're always pushing up against things and, and just, again, not, you know, again, not breaking down boundaries or breaking, you know, you know, breaking things, but just pushing up against things. That's, that's what you need to do as a, as a, as an entrepreneur. And that's not what they teach you to do in university, which is understandable. And again, we're both university graduates, really good. That's a, that's a good thing. And it's, it's not, it's not what you need to be to be really successful in business, I believe. So what about habits? What key habits would someone want to steal from you? A leader listening here, Josh?
0: Oh gosh. Um, I, I, I endeavor to always be better at this. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a morning person. I love getting up early despite, in this case in particular, um, for that, you know, for, for me, I'll, 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 I'll say it a little, answer your question a little differently, actually. Sure. So I have three core areas that, that I set in my life around, um, which is physical health. Uh, and there's a bunch of habits within that. There's, uh, inspiring work, okay. uh, and great relationships. Mm-hmm. So those are the three buckets that I try and do everything for. So for me, a great day is like skiing with good friends, talking that is the best thing. And so in doing that, I, I try to create habits to support each of those. So I'll do runs with friends to talk about work, Um, usually three or four times a week. I work out with folks from my team three times a week. Um, So for me, it's about, you know, the ritual of coffee in the morning, you know, physical activity daily is, is are the two most critical, important things. There's so many people today, they're like, oh, I'm you know, especially during COVID, like you're housebound. It's, it's a, it's very taxing mentally. Yeah. Go for a run, go for a walk. you yes. feel much better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 uh, those three things, inspiring work, relationships, great, great relationships and being physically active. Those are three things that, that, that I just, you know, really prioritize as well. It just makes all the difference and even more so in a pandemic, right? Yes. It's just so critical. So, um, so final questions, Josh, when you think of a leader of tomorrow, what comes to mind?
0: Humility. Oh, I love it. First yeah. and foremost, it, it, you know, as we said it a moment ago, it's not, it, it's always about the team. Mm-hmm. The leader's job is to lead it's not about getting your name in the media it's not about getting the, the award and i think if if we had more of that in the world we see we'd see them a much better place overall
1: yeah there's no question and it's and also it's it's while it's it's you know we talked about it earlier it's not about being the smartest in the room and and and, it, and in fact it's 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 making sure everybody can talk, everybody can share it, right? Like, you know, and and I love one of the best, one of the practices I heard you're doing is going out and being active with different people and getting feedback from different people because I hear that's what you're doing too, right? And so that you're checking in with people. What are your thoughts about this when you're going out for a run? What are your thoughts about this? And I was thinking about this. So that's really important too because a lot of times in these meetings, too many people in the meeting and the the, the quieter people a lot of times don't feel like they can speak up. Don't, don't speak up as much. So we got to go, you know, tap them on the shoulder. What do you think? What are you seeing? What, what, what aren't I seeing? Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. I see that the
0: the best leaders ask the best questions and and that's what I wish. That's the area for me to improve is to, is to, is to to humble myself and ask questions for me. A big pivot point in my thirties was, you know, saying, I don't know, just saying something is like, what do you think? I don't know. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Right. If it's such a, a disarming thing for most people, especially when, when young people get to be leaders, Yes, um, to ask that other team, it's maybe people will think it's a weakness,
1: but I think it's a huge strength. It It is, it is. And, and you know, uh, yeah, it's, it, 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 it is. I was almost thinking like, it's, it's great to actually say, you don't know, even if you do have an opinion early on, especially as a leader, just because so often people will, will, oh, then I agree with that too. Right. Like I know you worked with, uh, you know, like at Starbucks, Howard Schultz, you know, huge magnetic personality. I imagine again, Howard says something people want to follow in behind him, right? Like that's just a natural thing, you know? Oh, you know, like what, what could I say? But, but that's, you know, you want to take everyone's piece uh, and, and feedback. So humility, just love it. So Josh, thank you so much for spending time with us on the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. Continued success. Please send me some information about the products uh, that you're selling so that, well, number one, I'm going to go make some buy, I'm going to go buy it, uh, but also as well so our, our, our young leaders can, can hear about it and check it out and, and all that sort of stuff, uh, you know, buy in early when it goes IPO. So uh, <laughs> perfect. yeah, we we'll just go- Google human improvement or buy high.co uh, okay. either
0: one works. We're for sale actually across Canada uh, as right. well. So we'll get, we'll get you all the information. Chris, Fantastic. thanks so much for having
1: me. Hey, this is awesome. So uh, thanks so much, Josh. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hey leaders. I hope you enjoyed this episode. By now you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year, to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down their path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.